0: Hi, I'm Melissa Corkum. I blog at our family website, www.thecorkums.com, which we affectionately call The Corkboard. This is the Uncorked podcast, conversations with everyday extraordinary people, people who have conquered, people making a difference in their worlds, brave and beautiful people, but people who in the end are just like you and me. If there's one thing I've learned over the past 10 years, it's about how much I didn't know that I didn't know, and how much I still don't know. Our experiences in adoption and loving kids who have aged out of the foster care system, living in the country but owning a coffee shop in the city, and just traveling internationally have so greatly expanded our horizons and shifted our paradigms. And hopefully, we're better humans for it. The one common theme through all of those experiences, though, was just listening to people's stories. Patty Dye once said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So pull up a chair and an open mind and meet another one of my everyday extraordinary friends. Okay, before I jump into this week's intro, remember when Kristen Taylor shared her life hack of not matching socks back in episode 22? I wanted to thank Pals Socks for sponsoring this episode. What if all kids could start out thinking that differences were great, that it's awesome that we don't all match, and that we don't have to have all the same ideas or have to look exactly alike. These adorable, mismatched socks are a great way to DEFEAT THE NORM. Get it? Head to www.bit.ly uncorkedsocks20 and use the code SAS20, all caps, to get 20% off your first order. I'm actually headed there now because our 11-year-old just informed me that most of his socks have holes. So, on to episode 25. This week, I invited my husband, Patrick, who has his Master's in Theology, to share the mic with me. Fortunately, modern editing technology will spare you from living through the awkward that was us trying to hit our rhythm. We sat down to chat about our church journeys, misnomers about the Catholic faith, and why we're pursuing a smaller, organic church community. Thanks for those of you who asked questions via Facebook before we recorded. Also, he gets the prize for the best life hack answer ever. Here's my conversation with Patrick. Do you remember what we talked about when the first time we met? No. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, not even a little bit about it? Nope. I remember that I found out you were Catholic.
1: Was it that early?
0: Yeah, I really think it was. And I remember not being sure what I thought about that. Actually, no, I know what I thought. I judged you.
1: As did most people.
0: Mostly because I had a father who grew up in the Catholic Church and didn't feel like it wasn't a bad experience, but he didn't feel like he met Jesus there. And so when he finally met Jesus, I think he felt like the Catholic Church gypped him of something that he should have known about a long time ago. And so that was the perspective of the Catholic Church I had coming into our conversation.
1: That was typical of people in college, you know. It was a lot of uh, antagonism towards Catholics, just in general, among the non-Catholic but yet Christian community. Even when I went to my first non-Catholic service, it was a little awkward because the entire service—I'm going to say homily, but it's not homily in the Protestant churches—the uh, sermon. sermon, yeah. <laughs> Um, The the sermon was about uh, how Catholics are wrong. It had nothing to do with their actual doctrine, but how Catholic doctrine was wrong. It was really off-putting, I'll tell you, especially for somebody who was trying out different things and might actually be uh, Catholic. So it was a little awkward. Um, And there was a lot of antagonism among people about Catholicism and how they're wrong with all these different doctrine Beliefs about Catholic doctrine and thinking what Catholics actually believe, and you know, it, some of it is just misunderstandings. Some of it they got from people because uh, from Catholics, because a lot of Catholics don't understand the belief system. So there was there, there was a lot of that going on, and there was Catholic uh, group. The what was the name of that group? The, the um, Newman Club. The Newman Club. Thank you. And uh, it, it was very much looked down upon by. Interversity crowd. Um, and Catholics didn't like to actually let them people know that they were actually Catholic but you know.
0: Wait, so University looked down on the Newman Club, you oh, yeah. feel like. Uh-huh. So what did the Newman Club think about University? I'm not
1: sure they even knew University existed. Oh, okay. <laughs> those, those that did, I mean they like it wasn't a big it, it really wasn't a thing. It was largely two distinct crowds, which was a shame.
0: Yeah. Well, and for those of you who don't know University is like a parachurch organization that does college outreach. And it's largely it's largely made up of folks from the evangelical Christian population, I would say. So what is an example of something you think that most people think Catholics believe, but is largely misunderstood?
1: Hmm. I think there are a bunch of different things. So uh, I'll give an example. The idea of Praying to saints, right? so um, everybody says, "Oh, why would you pray to saints? why you know uh, why why not just pray to Jesus? And the question I always ask is, have you ever asked somebody to pray for you or have you ever prayed for somebody else? What's interesting is that we don't mind doing that um, as long as you can see and feel and touch the actual person that you're talking to. But if you believe that there is a spiritual realm, um, spiritual place, so to speak, which the Catholic Church does, and a lot of the evangelical church does. Some people don't, but, you know. Um, but it's
0: definitely not a Catholic Protestant thing.
1: It, it, it's not. But if if you believe that that is there, the question is, is what is that divide? Is And, and how do you cross that divide? And is there really, is talking to somebody... Who is on the other side of that divide, so to speak, or asking them to pray for you? Is that really? It's not really prayer. I, I just don't think people have a word for it. They they just call it prayer, but it's not the same thing as what we do with Jesus. And and why not ask them to pray for us? Why not ask everybody to pray for us? Um, those who have, those who are here, and those who have, those who have gone. And I don't want to get into the whole, like, how do you know somebody's a saint? And, you know, the whole idea of, like, saints just in general, that how do you know they're in heaven? And, but just generally speaking.
0: So, but the idea is not so much that you're praying to a saint in the way that you're giving them, that you're saying that they're like God. No, you're not but worshiping they, them. Right. But you're just asking them to pray on your behalf. And, intercede on your behalf
1: correct and, and that's the same thing with mary and everybody has this big thing about mary cuz mary's such a big character in the catholic church i mean even my grandmother um was very heavily focused on mary and and there is this is where you know people's beliefs and actions differ a little from doctrine and where people have a little bit of a misunderstanding and I'd probably say there's a bit too much of a focus on Mary within the Catholic Church. But at the same point in time, and by the way, the Catholic Church does not worship Mary. There's a difference between what they do, which is veneration and worship. And they, they made this is where they made a very distinct line in the sand. Mary is not to be worshipped, but she is to be venerated. And, you know, I mean, she's got a special place and really to, like, what is that and come up with a uh, doctrine about it. And the thing is, is the evangelical Protestant church wants to, like, take every character away out of history and, and pretend like nobody exists besides Jesus and that every, everything else is, it, it doesn't matter. But in reality, it, it does. Uh, so, I mean, God chose Mary for a reason and all the extra doctrine around her it's not everybody in the Catholic Church would buy into it. Uh, there is official doctrine on it, but not nearly as important as, say, the as Christology or soteriology and those kinds of things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are differences between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, um, and there are differences among Protestant churches as well. Uh, it's just interesting that, you know, there is such a and an antagonism towards Catholic Church because of the history, whereas there's not nearly the antagonism among Protestant churches, even though their doctrines are, could be even further apart than they are with the Catholic Church.
0: It's all Martin Luther's fault.
1: It is. It's all Martin Luther. Calvin came into play with it, too. So. Do you know, Ca- Calvin, he wanted to have communion every Sunday, and uh, his elders said, uh, said no because it was too Catholic.
0: You know, see, the Catholic Church has been a problem for a long time.
1: Yeah, they, they did a whole lot of bad things. And, you know, they they had a bad reputation. And you can look back in the history, and a lot of bad things happened from the church and, and uh, a lot of bad actors in the church over the millennia. But, I mean, it's been around for almost 2,000 years. Like, you're bound to have bad actors and bad times. Um, Periods, And it's amazing that it's still around after so long.
0: I know. Well, at the end of the day, right, we're all just people and we're not perfect people. And being Catholic or Protestant doesn't make us more perfect or less likely to do stupid things than anybody else at the end of the day. And we spend a lot of time on the show talking about how we should focus more on our commonalities than on our differences, which I feel like the Catholic and Protestant church hasn't done well. Well, the people of them, at least, hasn't done well, at least not in my experience, which is why I was very wary of you when I found out you were Catholic.
1: As most people were. And, you know, the Catholic Church has come a long way as well, because if you remember from your history, they were very antagonistic towards Protestants for 500 years, 400 and some odd years. And in the 1960s Vatican II, they put out a Lumen Gentium, uh, which was an article Basically, trying to uh, bridge that gap with Protestants, and they've even come with uh, a joint declaration on the doctrine of justification. Um, wow, well, I can't remember, Believe I remember that. With uh, we're going to find with the it. Lutherans. We'll
0: link it to the show notes page. Yeah. We'll find the text for yeah. people to read.
1: And I mean, you look at St. Mary's Ecumenical Institute of Theology down um, in Baltimore, and it is a interdenominational school for. Uh, theology, um, held at a Catholic seminary, the oldest Catholic seminary in the United States. And where does this come from? Uh, it comes from Vatican II when they tried to reach out to the Protestant denominations and they're still going strong to this day. And, uh, it's a great example of ecumenism.
0: You're using a lot of big words Uh, today.
1: Sorry, I'll stop using those. But ecumenism is the, I, is that, uh, Basically, the bridging the gap and having that relationship with um, people in different uh, faiths or denominations, and trying to, you know, have a reconciliation, so to speak, but uh, or interfaith dialogue.
0: So flip the script. Tell me what you thought of me when you figured out what my church background was. Do you remember? No. <laughs> so not helpful well okay so but i grew up in com- in basically the polar opposite church environment that you grew up in so like the catholic church is known for its like formality and its what's the word there's a word for that
1: the liturgy it's liturgical, liturgical. that's the word yeah mm-hmm.
0: when so you grew up with a lot of liturgy
1: or high churches many people would call it
0: Well, but I think just liturgy in general, like Mm -hmm. with more liturgy, because there's churches even in the Protestant realm that are more liturgical than others.
1: Yes, but I mean, most church services, if you're going to a building somewhere, those typical uh, churches are very liturgical, even though they don't want to be, or don't claim they are, they still are, it's just They have less in their... It's less high church, or very less formal and... Right.
0: Well, there's only, like, two things in the liturgy instead of, like, 15.
1: Yeah. Well, no, usually three. Sing, singing, sermon, sermon. singing. <laughs>
0: right. So, I grew up... Oh, I forgot
1: about announcements.
0: I grew up in a church that was a, a college Bible study turned into a very small church. And it was as casual, probably, and organic as you could get. Uh, I didn't realize how unique that situation was growing up but i mean we were like one big family we didn't really have paid staff or a paid pastor we d- we did have two paid pastors in a span of like maybe 20 years there wasn't always an agenda for the service it was like loose like there was kind of a plan but everyone kind of held it loosely like someone could have a tongue and it would all go out the door like we it was also a church that believed in all the spiritual gifts and it was a little bit more charismatic We believed that all of the spiritual gifts, including tongues and interpretation, were still present and alive. And we saw that demonstrated periodically throughout services. So it wasn't like a crazy—it looks a lot like other non-denominational churches, typical non-denominational churches, at least that I've been to other ones, except for the occasional tongue and interpretation. So, But basically, we came from completely different— backgrounds, like as far as like two opposite sides of the spectrum.
1: Pretty much. Um, and you know, I, I think that, uh, there's, there's a lot more room for the Holy spirit to guide things in your, your background. Whereas Catholic church, there's, especially during service, there's very little room for the Holy spirit to guide things. Um, it's very much written down and you must follow this.
0: Yeah. So, you were kind of thinking that you wanted to, you weren't married to the idea of continuing to be active in a Catholic church community when we met. Is that fair?
1: It's fair. And I, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why part of it was the lack of having a specific community. And, you know, I had gone to, um, a few Catholic churches and it was like walking in and just walking out and nobody even noticed you were there. Uh, I had grown up as a, are very involved in the church uh, as an altar boy and all those other things, and I had my little bit of a rebellion pushback against uh, the church and uh, a lot of the rules uh, that it uh, that it had, and which were very strange to me, and they really didn't make sense, and it was just like just do this because, and I don't do anything just because. Uh, True story. So some of that really didn't jive with me uh, back then. I've come a long way from, uh, since then in understanding more of the stuff. But at that point in time, it was a lot of uh, just do because. I, I was kind of, I knew I needed something. The whole idea of Protestant church was really scary. And the idea of going, like doing something other than Catholic was, felt very dangerous to me. But uh, lo and behold, that's where I ended up.
0: Well, but so, so we met got engaged, got married. Long story short, that's probably another podcast for another day. (laughs) And, but at the time, my dad was a youth pastor at a local Presbyterian church. And I still wasn't super comfortable with a more high church, more liturgical church service. And I was young and pretty rebellious against just the idea that church, people thought church needed to be that way. And so we were trying to start a quote-unquote contemporary service at this church where my dad was on staff. Um, And when I say we, it was more like my dad and my family, and we kind of ripped Patrick in. But it was a small gathering of people, and I think that's why you were so amenable to it because it was a very small group of people, and there was a lot of community there.
1: It was. I was also amenable to it because um, I was getting married to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's just be clear.
0: But let's be clear, like, there are not very many other things in our relationship that you do just for me. I mean, like, like things that you feel strongly about. Like, if you have a really strong opinion about something, and if you had had a strong opinion so, about that, you would not have sacrificed it just for me. I will
1: tell you, I was young and stupid, and I was willing to do pretty much anything for, uh, for you. <sighs> You're uh, not like
0: that at all anymore. No, not so
1: much. Um, But, I, I mean, I, I, I went, and I, I liked the people there, and it was it was awkward for a while, and I really tried to fit in uh, at that church even though it was very different for me
0: I mean you went on to become an elder
1: I did I kind of regret that
0: yeah, I wouldn't say that was like a defining part of our experience there
1: no uh, that was
0: but it just goes to show like we were there, we were invested we were there we were. for years we our... did
1: youth ministry there for a long time, which is kind of funny. we've done youth ministry for. So many years, and it's
0: we're kind of anti-youth ministry. We'll call, We'll talk about that soon. Yeah. We're getting there, but we are two of our kids were born there and baptized there, and so yeah. I mean, and we were married there. Yep. So there's a big part of our family history that yep. happened. And there.
1: I, I miss the people there. It was. I mean, the
0: people and we're still were in touch with some of those people yep. there. So you are more than me. Well, I'm in touch with everyone more than you. That's true.
1: I'm in touch with almost one.
0: True. So. From there, we ended up at, at the time was a small, still a smaller church on the grand scheme of things, maybe like 200 people on a Sunday.
1: Uh
0: And, um, we had kind of sworn we would never do Presbyterian again. And I had never identified particularly as a Presbyterian. We were just there because that's where dad's job was. And I would say he wouldn't necessarily identify himself as a Presbyterian. But we had a group of friends, I had a group of friends from high school who were trying to start a small group of sorts at another local church and invited us to be a part of it.
1: By the way, you'll never hear, Patrick had a group of friends, and no, that phrase will never come out of it. It'll
0: one. be like Patrick had a friend. Yeah, that's right. You, have, you are a friend, a deep friend to few. But, <laughs> yes. And, okay, so we ended up at this other church because of the small group invite. And it was a tight-knit group of people, and we were looking for a new church, and so we decided to go there one Sunday because we hadn't done research on church shopping at all, and we already knew some folks there because of this small group. And long story short, we ended up staying for eight years, give or take a couple months. It was a long time. Yep. And when we left, that church had more than quadrupled in size, I think. Yeah, easily. So there were a lot of reasons why we walked away, but I think it was in that church where we really started to feel the tension of big church community versus small church community. And where I started to really understand the impact that the church I had grown up in and how small and organic it was, how much I appreciated that. And I was able to start putting language and pinpointing reasons why I appreciated that. And there were things that were going on in this larger church situation where we just witnessed things kind of falling through the cracks, where there were opportunities to serve people, but because those opportunities couldn't be fit into one of the neat, tidy ministry boxes in a larger church structure, they were going unserved, where ideas had trouble growing because of red tape and bureaucracy within the church.
1: They did. And it was, it was very clear there as well, that there is a, there are two classes of people, the clerical class and the lay class. For those of you who don't know those, that terminology, which is probably most people um, it's the, the special class who gets to do the stuff. And then the other people who just are like participants in, in coming in, that were like the ruling class and the the people. And it's a lot of paid staff, um, and they really had like what goes on, and they were the ones who um, determined all of that stuff, and everybody else kind of just like had to follow suit. Um, And that's pretty typical in Christianity, I'd say, wouldn't you think?
0: At least in our area, like all – most of the churches that we've encountered and people in the churches that we've encountered, as we've kind of talked around this. So this started a dialogue years ago while we were still there. I mean, probably like maybe five years ago about starting to talk through some of these things and having some of these ideas evolve. And that was generally, I don't know that people ever thought about it this way, but there was this idea that there was like church leadership and, and in a really large church, those people were kind of steering the direction of the ship, uh-huh. and in other ways, they also were the loudest voices, right? Like we hear the same pastor or small group of pastors preach every Sunday, typically in a church setting. You know, there's there's not there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, consumerism type Christianity where you know people come they more consume worship than participate in worship in a mm-hmm. lot of senses. It's presented that way and consume I mean, education the or message.
1: Everybody calls it service. It's because like they have this idea that they're going to a service. They're going to be serviced. And that's I mean, that's the terminology everybody uses for Sunday morning. And because that's what it is. It's you know, Some some churches, some denominations will call it a gathering, a meeting, other things. But just generally speaking, you'll hear the word service.
0: So then a couple years ago, we read a book. Well, you read a lot of books, but the only one that I read was called Reimagining Church. And it put words... That's one by Frank Viola? Yes, that one. And it put words to a lot of the things I think we had been feeling in our church experience. Anyway, so what were some of the things you remember about that? Well, or just about all the books you read, what were some of the main points that were takeaways for you?
1: Wow. There are so many, um, a lot of, a lot of interesting, uh, things and a lot of, a lot of questions as to like the things we take for granted that are just part of church in general. And should they be examples? You know, we have this separation of classes within the church and, at least you're going to hear the pastor class, right? Or you're going to have pastors. And there's the question, is that something that we should have? The Bible doesn't talk about pastors. The Bible talks about uh, um, elders or bishops, uh, all depending on how you want to translate it. But uh it, it doesn't talk about this pastor class. And should we have one person who gets to speak and tell everybody how it is, you know, and it's a lot of pressure for them for a lot of reasons. One is they've got to prepare a sermon and, you know, they can't be wrong.
0: Well, everyone assumes that they're not wrong because they're the pastor class, but there's not a whole, honestly, ironically, I think one of the biggest things that people have asked me when I've talked to them about where we're headed with this conversation, which is this more organic church community is accountability. Like how do you have accountability if you're not under kind of this church leadership situation or a larger church body? But if you think about it, like there's not a ton of accountability to pastors. I mean, and it all depends on which church denomination you're in because there's varying levels of, you know, church governance. But at the end of the day, you have one or two guys or women who get up in front of a fairly large body of people relative to, you know, the one person on the stage and preach something that most people will take as truth because it's coming from a stage.
1: Yep, that that's true. And even if, you know, a lot a lot of pastors also won't actually put their sermon uh, which could be very long out there before they actually preach it. They just come and they preach it maybe to their wives or husbands or whatever. But uh, they they come and they do this, and then you have a lot of people listening to this, and the majority of them are taking it as truth. And they're taking it as, like, this is the way it is, regardless of whether the person is wrong or whether, you know, maybe later they'll realize, oh, they said something that they shouldn't have or really it was completely off base, but it's too late by that time. You know, there's...
0: Or they meant it, or they legitimately meant it one way, but it was taken another. And there's really no, there's no great feedback loop. I mean, there's obviously people who will go out of their way to contact someone after a sermon is preached to give feedback. But generally speaking, there's no feedback loop.
1: Right. And then, and there's no discussion, uh, not just a feedback. Hey, this is what you said. This is what I heard. But I mean, at the end of the day, this should be a discussion. There should be conversation that's going on, back and forth, and really seeking truth and challenging each other, as opposed to this idea of one person gets to speak for God, so to speak.
0: Well, because at the end of the day, we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit, and while we have different... The same one? The same one. Even the Catholics. (laughs)
1: Wow, I thought we all had different ones. Shut up. There are three, aren't there? Oh, wait, no. (laughs) We all have the same Holy Spirit. Yeah. We do.
0: We all have the same Holy Spirit and we have different giftings and teachings. Not teachings. We have different giftings towards different things, but we all have something to offer. We all have something to bring to the table. And I think it's also dangerous to go into a typical like Sunday morning service and think of that as like your education time. So a lot of people even go in thinking that that's, like, their teaching or learning time because even going back to, like, why don't we have kids in service? Like, well, my kid distracts me because I'm trying to listen to the message. Like, I'm trying to learn something. So we even go in without our – honestly, without our thinking cap on, like, without the cap that says, like, you know, should I be taking this as truth? We don't – you know, we listen to it with less filter maybe than we do with other things that we're hearing in other situations. At least I know I used to do that
1: and there are a lot of other things about it too right everybody's going to love the sermon that uh they agree with right that they like goes right down the line that uh their political views are on or their um their views of how people should act but at the same point in time as well they're they're going in with that consumerism mentality that you talked about they they want this is for me this is what about what I get out of this and I've heard that so many times so I didn't get anything out of this, you know. I didn't get anything out of that sermon. The kids keep me from getting things out of this, and this is another aspect. It's not so. It shouldn't be about what we get. It should be about what we're bringing and what we're giving. You know, it's that time to worship. Show God how much He's worth, which is where the word worship comes from. How much you know, showing how much somebody is worth, and it, that's what we're we're doing. It's not just a matter of time. We're bringing our gifts. Um, and our talents as well to, to this Sunday morning thing. And we should, it, it should be a very different uh, mindset, but that's the typical mindset that people are going in with.
0: Yeah. And, and I realized something, you know, after we were down this road for a while and our kids were older and we, you know, and we'd been exposing them to fairly informal church service every Sunday. So kind of your typical like singing, announcements, sermon, one song, close kind of situation. And we had really boxed them into their definition of worship. They saw church as a building and a Sunday morning event, even though we were there many more days than just Sundays, but kind of the word church to them conjured up images of singing in a sermon. And to go do a Sunday morning doing something different, like a prayer walk or some, or a service project or something like that. They were like, but we're not going to go to church. Like they had really, we had boxed them into something that we didn't even fully believe. And so I think that was probably a defining moment, at least for me to think like, gosh, what are, what are we doing? Like we're kind of just doing what everyone else is doing, has been doing. And all of a sudden the product of that was really sobering, at least to me.
1: We had had for years, you and I, uh, a different notion of what church was. I mean, we had this big church service that we would go to every Sunday morning, and we questioned it, like, why are we going here? Like, at the end of the day, we walk in, we see the back of everybody's heads as we're walking to the front, we get to see people up on the stage for an hour, hour and a half. And then when it's all said and done, everybody turns around and we see the back of their heads again as we walk to our cars. And we had had that community with uh, friends, which we would gather weekly, different people. And really, it was a lot more about doing life together.
0: Right. Um, well, we had a community, a small group, if you will, that met not on a Sunday, not that that right. day matters, but like outside of a typ- typical church service. And we had... And that community was where we did great discussion, where if something was going crazy in our life, those were the people who stepped up and brought us meals or watched our kids or cleaned our bathrooms. And, you know, those are the people who came and did laundry at their house and who we cooked for. And, and we went
1: on vacation with we, them. <laughs> Yeah, we
0: vacationed with them. And we, you know, went out to dinner with them and we met them you know they were the ones that came and cheered our kids on at sports games and we just happened to be the only ones with kids at that time so we would have done that for them obviously too but it was like you said who we were doing life with and so to us that's where like that's where the bread and butter of fellowship and worship and all the things were for us and so we would still go on Sunday mornings for the whole singing and sermon bit but we were because we were at a bigger church we had multiple services and honestly most of the people that we were doing life with weren't at the same service that we were going to some because of them
1: weren't even at the same church
0: that's true and so it became that we were going Sunday after Sunday with very little interaction with people because we were just literally showing up at a building singing some songs listening to a sermon and leaving and we got to thinking as we would walk out every week like wait what what's the point again like why are why are we doing this
1: right and
0: and is it is it important
1: right, and you can look at through history are there times where people haven't been able to gather like that or whatever. and you know the people who have learned to do life together really that's where uh, that's where it's at. And uh, read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book that's after I still the name, haven't on that Life Together. He has some interesting. Uh, philosophies and like what you sh- should be singing. Apparently only the Bohemian brothers are worth singing. Um, anything and it's worth, not that we're <laughs> against
0: the singing. <laughs> no, no. At but, all. But I'm just not sure that we need a whole separate to-do right. with people that we're not even in community with. Right. And and
1: the, the idea of community too, just in general, is, you know, there's this concept of church and community and we think of ourselves still as individuals, and there's this big like individual focus that goes on. And it and it comes out in our music too. You know, it's very much I do this, I do that, Jesus do this for me, God do that for me. And in reality, like we are we are a body, we are a thing. It should be that we are doing these things. We are doing these things. Jesus for us, like whether you like the theology or not of bonhoeffer it's something worth thinking about where uh he basically says that uh jesus today is uh, or christ today is the church living in community that is uh, we are his body right it's it's a, it's a very different notion if we consider ourselves like who we are and not as much who i am yeah It's just a different focus. I don't think that we have to throw out the the I part, but as we gather and think of ourselves as a community as opposed to an individual.
0: Yeah. But you can honestly have that perspective, I think, in a church of a thousand people, or you can try to. but can. We don't. (laughs) Right. For whatever reason, ironically, those larger church gatherings tend to foster this more individualistic Mm -hmm. faith. And maybe because it's because at the end of the day, it's too, it's really hard. It's kind of like, you know, it's easy to schedule a meeting between two people, three people's a little harder, four people's a little harder. Like the numbers, the bigger you get, the harder it is to really get it where there's unity through the whole thing. Cause you have to kind of break up that larger body in the smaller pieces just for logistics sake. And I think the other part that really was striking to us as we kind of through our journey as well was this idea of like where our resources are going. We're both engineer minded. We both have efficiency in our hearts. It's like what we live for. And I think there was a part of us that was wondering, you know.
1: So efficiency to the point of when we drive from the same place, we will take different routes to just see which one is faster.
0: For future reference. Like for
1: future reference, whether, I mean, even if it's like a couple seconds faster, like just to know that idea and just just as a point of how efficient we are (laughs) point of reference
0: for the crazy that we are um, and you can feel sorry for our kids yes but there's this idea of do we need like a separate church building if and do we need all the things that we kind of seem to have to need for larger groups of people administration staff is there a, a better way to our resources and not have so much overhead so that there can be a bigger impact to other things. And I know that there's a lot of arguments about, you know, those investments towards buildings and church staff are investments towards, you know, bigger things. You know, I, I've heard that, but I'm just, it's not where my heart beats for like where I want and, my money to go.
1: And we started getting in there, you know, we listened, we read several books, Francis Chan, David Platt, and David Platt's a, uh, mega church pastor, but and and others as well um, that are mega church pastors. And uh, it, it, it's interesting that out of that, we came to you know, there's these churches that are starting to, oh, we don't really need this like formal building, we're just going to put up a cheapo steel structure or a tent or um, something like that where we can still gather. And then they are like, yeah, that's a great idea. And that's that's so much better than like putting all our money here and then we can put our resources elsewhere uh, I saw this article or clipping it was intended to show oddities in the church where it's like uh denomination X church raises five million dollars for new building and right underneath it is the, the same church uh, raises five hundred dollars for helping the poor you know it's the question of where, where, where are our priorities here it's um, and, you know, I mean, sure, I'm sure there's reasons and whatnot, but, you know, it's striking to me that, uh, this is what we decide to put our money in. So generally, I, I can't even fathom the amount of value in church property across, just across the United States. And if you were to just add up all the churches and how much they actually own, uh, what that would come to.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other part of that church building situation kind of goes back to this whole idea of individuals having the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're all capable and we're all called to great things. And I think a church building almost makes us a little bit lazy. Like we get this mentality that if we can just get our children to Sunday school or if we can just get our neighbors to church, then there's people there that are like trained, like they'll teach our kids or they'll share the gospel with our neighbors. And it's, I don't know. I feel like I want to challenge people to understand that they have the ability and that as a smaller church community, we can empower people to feel equipped to be their family's spiritual leaders and know how to have that conversation and, share their faith with their neighbors without this idea that like we, we have to get them to a church first.
1: Right. Now, keep in mind, everybody has different gifts, right? So this is where community comes into play. But it's not so much that, you know, um, it's like some people have the gift of teaching, right? We want those people who have that gift to be to be teaching. But it's just in general, it's a big mindset of, Hey, I'm coming to the professionals, so to speak, and let them handle it because I'm just an amateur, and we don't equip people with any skills to do this stuff. And it's not that they're not necessarily gifted; they probably have these gifts. They just don't know it necessarily because they're not being challenged. They're not being they're not being helped along the way. They're it's very much that consumerism. Mindset. Well,
0: I was just thinking buy-in, like the buy-in is so much greater in a smaller group it because is. of the relational value, and again, it goes, to, you know, why is it so hard in a church of a thousand people to find fifty volunteers to run a nursery or a Sunday school class? yeah, so do you have a vision of what a smaller church body could look like? What does that so we talked about a lot of what. We're frustrated about. But I think when I talk to people about this, like they're having trouble walking away, even mentally from what they've always known to be church. Um, and maybe because there's no vision for what else could be.
1: Right. I think vision is a big word here. I have a lot of ideas. And if I, if I say something like vision, it makes me feel more like, uh, I'm not giving myself the room to get smarter, so to speak. Um, or to rethink my ideas or my vision, so to speak. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go off on d- ideas here. Okay. Um, I, I know I'm a, I'm a person of...
0: A n- of non-commitment.
1: Non-commitment of... I mean, I'm committed to you, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. And you were committed to me long before I was committed to you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like when I make a commitment, I'm in for it. Yeah.
1: So, uh, but um, I like to make distinctions. You don't want to be misunderstood. Draw lines. I don't want to be misunderstood. So, ideas. I see it as this idea of a group of people, families, not just because family, families are uh, also that, that body, so to speak, that we're seen as. Uh, uh, it's its own little community in and of itself. Uh, but so to speak, a family of families, uh, and a family of individuals, and those individuals become part of the family. Uh those who don't have a larger family, but anyway, gathering as one set of people that we don't make distinctions based upon age either
0: I mean not to say like it's not fun to like have all the guys hang out or have like a play date where you know they're similar age kids, but the idea that those things are not going to define kind of typical community gatherings in the sense like we're right now. In a pretty typical American church, you walk in and there's Sunday school, age segregated Sunday school. And um, except for a few churches that are, you know, now kind of quote unquote multigenerational, the church is pretty age segregated on Sunday morning.
1: Right. And I, I would I would venture to say that I would say that the for children, the parents are responsible for the education piece of their kids. Uh, At
0: least the primary part of it and directing it. Like they might correct. choose to, you know, outsource something. But
1: Right, but as in terms of like when you think of it now, like kids go here, other people go there, and then you have specific tailored teaching for, for children, I, I would suggest that that kind of teaching or whatever would happen in the home. Uh, it's not to say that we don't, during when we gather, we're not speaking in, in a way that we can be understood by everybody. And have that convert, still have a conversation. We, sh- we should be reaching everybody, and some things are going to be over their head, and that's okay. And you know, I mean, I grew up going to church every Sunday morning since the day I was born. PJ and Mia did as well. Things go over their head, and it's okay. It's part of, you know, you learn awe and fascination by that as well. But anyway, so, so community of people, community of people gathering for fellowship fellowship is a fancy word for saying we're hanging out and really that's what it is we're hanging out we're doing it over food right food is an important part um it's there's an entire theology um on the where you're you're looking at where food is such a a central part and uh gathering around food and and you know eating together uh and in community and you know, it even talks about Paul talks about like, uh, about that, and when he's talking about the gatherings that people are having in the early church, and there's food involved, and everybody's bringing stuff. Um, those who can't, they don't, because well, who cares? But nobody, you know, like, nobody's looking down on anybody, and nobody's having a high higher seat than anybody else. There's there's no particular leader, so to speak. It's the the priests leading. And we're a priesthood of believers. And so, as Melissa, you just said, you know, we all have the same Holy Spirit, not different ones. We all have the same Holy Spirit. And we leave room for that. And and there's, sure, there's singing. If people have something they want to sing. And that's awkward for people to be like, just come and go like, I don't know what's going to happen. Or... Uh Maybe feels a little weird for somebody just all of a sudden start breaking out in song. And it does feel a little weird. You <laughs> wouldn't let's just have to clear. break out in
0: song. You know, you could use your words that said, like, hey, guys, like, I have this song that I've really been, like, that's really meant a lot to me this week. Like, do you mind if I play it for you or sing it with for you? Or do you want to sing it with me if you know it? I mean, it doesn't just have to be, like, spontaneous, like... Like the I, greatest showman, and like freak out in right. song. Yeah, but
1: if I were going to say that, you know, hey, I'm going to sing this song, people would be like, whoa, no.
0: We would just ask <laughs> you to play a Pandora version. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but, but it's not, it's not, um, so I asked on Facebook for what people thought about this whole situation and what they wanted to ask us. And someone brought up like, oh, it's like home church. But every time I use that word with people, it's kind of like homeschool. If you're not, if you haven't had an experience outside the, the box with that thing, like schooling, you imagine what school was for you, but happening at home. And so what people have often thought of when I've talked about microchurch is what happens at church, but in a smaller setting in someone's living room. And that's not what we're necessarily getting at.
1: Right. I mean, we could be throwing horseshoes out back. We could be playing Parcheesi. Um,
0: we're going to do a bocce thing this spring I think because yeah. we have bocce ball courts near us yeah
1: I like that idea uh watching a football game um I'd prefer to stay away from like watching tv but sometimes you know like that like brings people together as as in for camaraderie purposes but um some of the greatest conversations that you're going to have can be over just hanging out together and like playing a game with each other and there's room for laughter and things like that as well and Maybe having a beer together. Ooh, I said that word.
0: There's always beer and wine There's always beer at and our wine. gatherings, right. just to be clear. That's right. But yeah, I think, I think that informality makes people feel a little uncomfortable, like they're missing something or like they're not checking a box. And I feel really blessed to have come from an experience that was slightly more organic than the normal. And I think that's why maybe I'm so willing to jump to here. Although you and I are kind of big jumpers to anything. Out of the ordinary. So, but I don't know. So, but yeah, just like, and a group of people that's small enough so that if someone's missing or we haven't seen someone in a while, you know, they are missed and noticed. Um,
1: sure, you don't see them one Sunday. You're like, hey, everything all right?
0: Right. Because it's like, it's like a family, right? And, and where we're comfortable enough to bring laundry to do at someone's house because someone's dryer's broken or you're, you know, you're willing to ask them to pick up swing by and pick up a kid. Like we had a couple that used to come to our small group who used to drive right by me as dance studio on their way here. And they were like, Hey, can we just save you a trip and just bring her, you know, bring her with us. And those things are kind of just what make community go round. And, you know, where you pull your resources when you need to for certain things and where worship is not synonymous with singing which is another one of my church pet peeves, which really has probably little to do with the institutional church, but I just hate when people think worship has to be singing. And no one thinks no one thinks that it is if you ask them straight up, but everyone uses the terms interchangeably.
1: Uh, let's see. Hey, it's worship time. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody breaks out the guitars.
0: Yeah, or whatever. Um, we're going to have a night of worship, and that usually just means we're going to have a night of singing. Yeah. Anyway, so the another question that came up, on Facebook was how do you find these things? Which I think is funny because we don't know. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> and the other question was, how do you start something like this? And you podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, first of all, Francis Chan has a, has a movement of something similar, which I had no idea about, but someone pointed me to that recently because they found out that we were interested in these things. And they're like, Oh, are you doing, it's like one church or church one or something. I don't, maybe not. I don't know. She was like, are you doing this thing? I'll, I'll find it and post it on the show notes page. And I was like, I don't know. Am I? And then I read it and I was like, oh, I am. But that's not, it's not exactly how we came about it. So it is happening. It's starting to pop up more. But at the end of the day, I think what we're doing is just opening our home, having conversations about it, um, inviting people that we know are feeling disenchanted by a church experience or who aren't connected to a church or feel awkward connecting to a more traditional church and just creating opportunities for community. We've, we try to be really intentional about inviting people to wherever we're going. If it's something that people can be invited to, like if we're going somewhere together as a family, like skiing or to an outdoor show or to do something fun, we try to let people know so they can join us. Um, We try to open our home for random things like watching the Olympics or playing virtual reality or hanging out in the backyard or having crabs or just opportunities for people to come where there's opportunities for conversation and food, always food and beer and wine.
1: Uh Always food and beer and wine. Yes.
0: I also think one of the benefits of a smaller community, like we're envisioning or having ideas about, does that make you feel better? Sure. Yep. Is a lot of the things that divide us as big churches seem to be either lesser issues or non issues in an organic community?
1: I think there are a few different reasons for that. One is you have fewer people to have that divide, right? Number one. So it's less likely that you're going to get people on such polar
0: opposite. Well, or Sorry. there's not so many people in one camp, like you, you, in a group of eight people, it's very possible to have eight different opinions, but because we have eight different opinions, there can't, you know, it's it's less likely that we're going to divide up like four on four.
1: Right. But he, and here's the, here's the great thing about it as well is this kind of place. If you, the people there are respectful of each other, like we love having conversations Absolutely. with people and I love having discussions where people are on opposite sides of the fence of me and we work through those things and we discuss them. We don't just go, hey, I can't talk to you anymore because you don't believe what I believe and you're over there and we can't do anything together anymore because you believe this about communion and I believe that about communion
0: as an example. Well, there's, I think in a community where there's multiple feedback loops and where everyone's inviting, has been invited to the conversation, there's more assumed gray areas. We don't need as many black and whites.
1: Right. And generally speaking the people are valued more than the doctrine right as it should be yes um, now that being said there there still needs to be some something when people are completely off the rails where all of a sudden like somebody's saying something that I don't I don't even know um, you know but God isn't come... is perfect for example right like right. Let's just say, let's just say that. And I don't even know, I wouldn't even listen to that conversation, that discussion. But if like, there's somebody that just won't get off something that's uh, off the rails, the community can handle that within itself.
0: Well, and with relationship and love. Mm -hmm. And again, we all come in teachable, but also kind of understanding that there is an absolute truth to be had, but then also understanding that we may not know what the Absolute truth is in every situation the side of heaven. I mean, there's a couple things that are probably non-negotiables, right? In we our... talked about
1: Holy Spirit, for example. Like, there is one. There is
0: a Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Jesus as God, as divine. Um, but, you know, things like, should we baptize as infants or adults? Or should women be pastors? But because we don't have pastors, that also is helpful.
1: You know, and... I don't know, the whole Jesus divine thing too. There are Christian c- communities that, you know, there are people who have doctrine where that's not the case. And, you know, a, l- a lot You're of people that... I know. blowing people's
0: minds right now. I, know. I are, don't know We have time for this. There,
1: there are people that are hearing here thinking I'm going to... I'm crazy and, like, that's ridiculous and they're not really Christians and all this other stuff. But I'd love to have that conversation with people. I don't know where it would land. But I'd be open for a conversation. And so I know people that believe these, believe things like that very different than me. And I think they're great people and I'd love to have them as part of my community.
0: Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not our job to convince anybody of anything, right? It's our job to seek truth, to cultivate our relationship with God. And if we can love other people and share with them what we are thinking and what we're learning, You know, there is a truth somewhere out there and we're all going to be held accountable for it. But at the end of the day, it's not our job to – it might be our job to try to point people there to what we have best figured out for us is the absolute truth. But we can't make our relationships revolve around whether or not we've convinced someone to believe all the same things that we have. And so I think that's the thing is, you know, people say, but how do you – figure out where to land. I'm not sure that that's the end game. Like I'm not sure that that's a success. That's one of the measurements of success in the situation. And I think to just be humble enough to recognize we all have things to learn. And some of the opinions that I had that were hills to die on 10 years ago, I'm not dying on anymore. And And some of those I may have even been convinced complete opposite things on. So yeah, I think that's important to know too, that again, at the end of the day, we can still be in relationship with people who believe something different than us. And we can all like iron sharpens iron. We can all be just have teachable spirits and just keep going at it. I don't know. Does that feel too?
1: I mean, it's what we have to, it's what we have to be. I mean, are we so arrogant to believe we're right and everybody else's is, is wrong? And no. sometimes <laughs> no comment, but
0: I mean, I mean, let's be honest. We could be wrong about this whole organic church thing. Maybe God we, wants us all in buildings and pews. It's
1: we, possible. We could be. I don't think so. But, you know, we, we could be. I'm open for that conversation if somebody wants to convince me. But uh, um, I'm willing to, to hear it out. I mean, you know, there's so many things I've realized, like, I was so strong on, like you just said, that just it's like mm, I'm not so certain anymore. And there are people who are very smart on both sides and, you know, I, 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 respect, I respect them and sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm wrong and uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I know it doesn't happen very often. Um, I just need to throw that in there for those people who really know me is cause I'm usually right. And
0: <laughs> no comment. Yeah. But at the end of the day, We, as as we've talked about these different ideas over the last couple of years, they've really resonated with people. And so it leads me to believe that if nothing else, big church, traditional institutional church is not doing a great job of providing this kind of authentic community that people are really asking for and wanting deep in their souls. I'm not, I don't know. And we're definitely not out to like, take down the institutional church. Like if people are there and it's working for them, obviously that's for them. But I think we definitely want to challenge people to think outside the box and think maybe there's another way, especially if you've decided that big institutional church isn't working for you.
1: Right. And, you know, I mean, big institutional church, whatever you want to call it, has done great things over the years. It's done horrible things as well.
0: Well, you, you can't know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. No,
1: and like many, many people have been saved, and oh, that's a not my uh, that's not normal thing. language. You
0: should. Um, um, <laughs> I'll cut that out. I'll strike that from the record.
1: Many people have come to come to really know Christ and and come to believe, and through through that church, and great, great, great acts have been done. Um, but like I said, horrible acts too.
0: But God can use so many different things. He
1: can. And it's not that I want to get rid of that. It's just I think there's something better.
0: Let's be honest. You would get rid of it if you had.
1: I, your, no. You,
0: there's something better. We're Enneagram 1s, and just because God's using something doesn't mean there's not a, another idea to explore that might be better.
1: Right. And I, I don't want to be so arrogant to think that this is the the best way or whatever. I just... It's the
0: way that we feel really drawn to right now. Right. Well, good. I think that's a really good ending point. I think that kind of wraps it up in a semi-tidy bow. Is there anything else you want to say that's really important about this particular subject?
1: Oh. I I was going to say something completely different off topic.
0: I know. Well, that's why I asked it the way I did.
1: Yeah, You know me too well.
0: That'll be the next time you're a guest on the podcast.
1: Yeah. So, no, I think uh, that pretty much... uh covers it for now i'm sure i could come up with lots of things to say but
0: all right so people that want to ask us questions about this can find me on social media because you're you're a lurker but you're not you're not really there
1: i am i that was rude
0: <laughs> <laughs> but social media is not your thing i
1: know and i really am often slow to respond to people.
0: Right. And the only social media you have is Facebook and email and LinkedIn and LinkedIn, (laughs) which you told me I'm not allowed to use as social media because it's only for like business searching.
1: That's right. It's for, it's for business.
0: So, but I will relay the messages for sure. Oh, wrap up questions. I have two things that I always ask my guests. And so you are no different. The first one is what are you not doing? Because social media for at least for moms, I know you don't feel this at all. You're giving me that look makes us feel very inadequate because we see these like perfectly curated pictures on Instagram, which you don't even have, or Pinterest, which you also don't have, which is why you're not feeling less than. And so the question is, what are you not doing? So if people were to say to you, like, you know, how are you doing at all, Patrick? What are you not doing? I mean, you have Six kids and a full-time job.
1: You know, putting me on the spot is not a good place for me. I'm one of these people who has to think about things for longer.
0: You have all the time you want. I can edit out that part.
1: (laughs) What am I not doing? I don't even know what you're asking.
0: Okay. I need a different wrap-up questions for guys. That's what that means. Okay. The second wrap-up question is a life hack that you're using that's helping you out right now.
1: My wife? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, you might get some points for that answer. Is that all you want to contribute? I'll let that lie if that's what you want.
1: Yeah, I can't think of anything else. I mean it's the best life hack I have.
0: Oh, that's really sweet and really awful all <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I don't know whether to be like wooed or resentful.: I
1: don't know. I can't do it all. Like, we share the load.
0: Bullcrap. Ouch! Wow. Oh, wait. Sorry. I didn't really mean for that to happen. I don't even know what that means. We do. We share the lid. Sorry. Whenever you say that, I just think about the laundry and the dishes <laughs> and the cooking. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Love you. Uh-huh. You do make all the money, though. I do. All right. Thanks for being here. Sure.
1: Anytime. Mm-hmm. Well, that,
0: Okay, so seriously, I'm honored to be his life hack. It really does make me feel appreciated. And I know that when I'm buried in dirty dishes and laundry, that he's really not the one putting pressure on me to do it all. I actually create the standards, especially around the house, that I feel like I'm not living up to. And he does faithfully get up, out of bed, every day, to go provide for our family and he's been doing a great job, and he's been doing it at jobs that are really not his passion, because those are the jobs that are the best at providing financially for a family. I can take that for granted easily, and I really shouldn't. So what has your church journey been? Did what we say resonate with you? Maybe you disagree completely. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at M A Corcum. If you post about the show, Use the hashtag The Uncorked Podcast so we can join in on the conversation. The books we mentioned, plus the text for the joint doctrine on justification and the link for the pals, socks, and the coupon code will be linked on the show notes page at www.thecorkums.com. If you enjoyed the conversation, let iTunes know with a five-star rating. That will let them know to get the word out to more folks. Thanks so much for listening. We're so glad you joined us.